Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Monday morning, Monday afternoon, I guess. And uh, let's see if we can do the Parsha. I'm hoping to have time this later this week to try to do another one on Hanukkah. I don't have anybody for the Haftorah, by the way. So I'm waiting for somebody to do the step forward with that. But uh, I just don't, I, there's one thing I want to remember. First of all, um, today's podcast is being sponsored by uh, David Pensack, David Bracha, um, who I married off, actually. Um, and... This is in memory of someone who just passed away a week ago. A young guy, Aaron Shane, is a cousin of theirs. It looks like in Lakewood or Flatbush. Maybe you saw this. And there's even like a, uh, you know, one of those GoFunding type pages or something like that. Zichon Elio, whatever. And Nick the Bidmei Yamav, you might want to take a look at it. It's a young guy in learning, 20 years old, who left a family. And for liver failure, you know what I mean? That kind of thing, liver liver issues, um, which he had all of his life. So it's a very uh, sad story. You may want to make a contribution. If you go online, like I said before, it's uh, you look up Aaron Chain, A-R-O-N-S-H-A-I-N. It's a Cole Young Man's Nifter suddenly. So the uh, Pensac family here in Baltimore is uh, sponsoring today's podcast. Let's say Chenishmoso. I think they just got I was told he just got up from Shiva. So it's very sad. Um, in a different note, uh, Donnie Rose from Israel sent me uh, this morning that he's uh, just doing his 100th podcast on his, uh, what's the right, Balkari on steroids uh, podcast. Uh, if you're interested in Trump issues, Dick Duck issues, uh, it's actually very interesting, but I, you know, but you have to have a certain bent to appreciate it. I just listened to a few minutes today's the one hundredth podcast, and so that's very nice. Him and Moshe Ginsburg, who really knows his stuff, it seems. Um, they they went at it. It's kind of funny. Like I said before, if you're a person that cares about the Cave Coton and Ravi and all the rest of it, and I don't mean that to be funny at all. I'm very serious uh, because there is meaning in this, and. He called attention. I listened to a minute or two or three or four or five and talked about the tipchas in, in today's parsha in Mikates. Um, and I I myself noticed one. He talked about one. Maybe I'm not a super addictive. Uh, I know addictive to some degree. But I'm looking just, for example, um, at the first page where it said, Vayidabayar Saramashkim, Es Paralemar, Es Ani Maskirayam. So, Ani. You know, Tibcha and Maskirayom. So, like in English, Ani, comma, and then Maskirayom. Why shouldn't it be Ani Maskirayom? That's how I would have said it. We Mercha Tibcha instead of a Tibcha Mercha. If you understand what I just said. If you don't understand what I just said, it doesn't matter. And similarly, he called attention to the fact, and this is one that's waiting for a rabbinical sermon, you know, uh, where Joseph is interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh. Sheva Poros, Atavashabashani Behino. 
you know, the seven fat cows for seven years. It's all one dream. Wrong. Wrong. Look at the trap. Now, these two guys explained it their way. To me, I would say it is a dream from the Lord. It is a dream from the Echad. But yeah, it could be maybe it's a little bit too homiletical. There's a lot of this uh, tip, interesting Tibcha stuff. If you ever take the trouble to try to study the text of the Chumash or whatever at the level of the basic, you know, um, vowels and uh, cantillations, uh, it really is really very, very interesting. Um, but I don't have time to do that today. Instead, I have to speak more broadly um, about uh, today's Parsha and. As you know, Mikates always falls out in the Hanukkah time. Sometimes it's Vayesha and Mikates, or sometimes it's Mikates and, and Baigash. Now I'm speaking colloquially, from a dictic point of view, since it's Donnie Rose Day, it's Mikates, right? Because whenever you have an A, a Tanua Katana, a Tanua Gedol, rather, followed by a Shvanach, that gets the accent, so it's Mikates. But anyway, we all talk that way. Now, um, what's the connection of Mikates and Hanukkah? It's a million. Vorts on that. You know, you open any half decent, you know, safer or now these uh, sheets that they give out all over the place, which uh, smother the shoals. I'm sure they'll have a million Vorts on um, connection between the Joseph story and the other story. I mean, the old one is the skinny cows and the fat cows, known as the oil, the miracle of the oil. You know, you go that route. Me, myself, and I, I'm sure I mentioned in the past, whenever it comes to this, and if ever I have to find a connection homiletically. I always remember from that book that I mentioned once in a while, B'nai Vina from uh, Rabbi Harry Rabinowitz from Iowa, the famous conservative rabbi of yesteryear, who was a Hebraist. He used to write in Hador a lot. And he has a wonderful two, his two books on Darshanim and rabbis and stuff like that. And some from, some not from. And one of them is like an appreciation for sermonics, homiletics. And I still remember... He quoted, because I, I really love this word, he quoted from Rabbi Israel Abrahams. There's a name from the past. Some of you living listening in Cape Town, possibly, will know that name. He was the rabbi of the, the chief rabbi of Cape Town in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, you know, those years back in the day. And let's fish a guy. Actually, he comes from a Chabad uh, ancestry, but whatever. Uh, he was a lady that was good enough for South Africa. And, you know, Jews, college, and all that business. And he apparently was a good speaker. Uh, I'm talking about in the English language, a good preacher. And big Zionist, you know, this is South Africa. And anyway, he made the following sermon. I saw this in the Harry Rabinowitz book. And apparently in those days, I don't know what it is now, in South Africa, Hanukkah was the Israel Funds Day, UJA, you know, raise money for Israel. L'chaira, back at that time. And the point he said was like this. He said, Joseph was a dreamer. I'm, you know, he wrote this in English. Rabinowitz writes it in Hebrew, and I'm retranslating it in English. I didn't see the original. He said, Yosef, Joseph was a dreamer, uh, and his dreams were significant. Uh, he saw the sun, the moon, the stars. He saw the, the, the uh, Shibola, you know, the Shibolim, all the sheaves bowed down before him. And these came true, as you and I know. Notice the sheaves bowing down to him foretold the famine. And the sun, the moon, and the stars foretold his rise to Viceroy, and so forth and so on. So he was a significant dreamer, and his dreams were vast and 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 Lamaisa. Um, 
And then, my friends, due to circumstances, Joseph is taken from Eretz Yisrael. And he goes to Golis. And he goes to Egypt as a Golis. He's no longer in his own country. And he still has his talents with the dreams, but he doesn't have his own dreams. In Egypt, Joseph does not dream. Instead, he interprets the dreams of the Goyim for them. The butler, the baker, Pharaoh, very brilliantly, very successfully. So Joseph is, is brilliantly talented in the dream department, but he no longer dreams for himself his own dreams. He helps the Goyim with their dreams. And then he concluded the speech along the following line. I'm going by memory. And he says, we're sick and tired of being in the Gullahs and helping the Goyim understand their own dreams. We want to go back to our own country and dream our own dreams. Therefore, I'm asking you to raise money for Israel. That's a very good speech for Pastor McCates. You could be a Zionist, not a Zionist. It's a good word. <laughs> okay? Now, um, Lamaisa, Pastor McCates, the whole story of Joseph is fascinating. Um, obviously, it's one of the most famous stories in all literature, aside of being in the Torah. And from the literary angle, it has so many angles. But sometimes, I don't know, it seems to me, sometimes you don't see the forest for the trees. I'll tell you what I mean. What do we see in this week's Parsha? You know, Yaakov gave Joseph a coat of many colors as soon as possible. Uh, why did Yaakov give Yosef a coat of many colors and not the others? The answer is because he held Yosef deserves it more than the others. Uncle, this is the shot, the Pashtun shot. Yosef is, is better than you other guys, right? And it was true. He's more talented. Many colors even signifies in all kinds of situations he'll excel. In all kinds of situations, in many colors. And it was true. Um, the dreams he dreamed were true. And um, not only that, look what happens to him in, in McKay's. He rises from the jail to be the viceroy. Through a brilliant interpretation of the dream. But nobody else could pull that off. And I'll tell you what I mean, nobody else could pull it off. Did Hashem... I, I don't know what I'm about to say is true. I think I'm right. I didn't look this up in the fortune. But I'm raising a good question. Did God tell him the solution? Or did God just tell him the meaning of the dream? As far as I can tell... Hashem just told the meaning of the dream. And then Yosef himself came up with this brilliant economic solution. You understand? In other words, he said, the meaning of the dream is you're going to have a famine. First it'll be seven years of plenty, then it'll be seven years of terrible famine. And the famine will be so bad, you'll forget about the plenty. Okay, that's what Hashem told him. But Yosef did a lot more than that. He said, and now I'm going to tell you the plan to deal with it. Okay? Which, by the way, is what you want from a dream interpreter. I don't want some shrink coming and telling me, cats, you got this issue and you got that issue, and your brother, your sister, your uncle, and your children have this issue. Fine, that is important, no question about it. You have to analyze what the problem is. But then what? <laughs> right? It's like the Rebbe who says, your kid has this problem and that problem. New, so what do you think is the solution? I don't know the solution. I just know the problem. What the heck with that? What good is it? Yosef says there's a, uh, like, to use modern language, is global warming coming in years, and here's how we're going to make it through. Okay? Here's the plan. So this means that this kid, 
who's just nar, it's been a zilpa, who's just a shepherd, had the economic uh, genius. And he goes on to manifest this as an administrative genius, the way he had to run the country in order to prepare for the uh, famine. And, you know, many Chazals talk about the, the regulatory system he had to put into place, you know, make sure people are not cheating, double dipping, and, you know, all that stuff. It's a huge enterprise, which is why Paro said, you're the man. I make you complete dictator because to implement the kind of global warming thing that Yosef had to do, you needed dictatorial powers. <laughs> Excuse me, you needed dictatorial powers. Because, well, let's see, leave that alone for a second. So Yosef deserved the coat, and the others did not deserve the coat. So why did they get angry? I'm raising a good question now. I bet you never saw this. Why did the brothers get angry when the father gave um, him the coat and not the others? Why didn't they have a Munas Chachamim? That's how we talk nowadays in the Yishi world. You're supposed to believe in the Das Torah. You're supposed to believe that the Gedol know best. I'm serious. I'm not being funny. I'm serious. Right? So, if listen, if this is true of Rav Shach, it's definitely true of Yaakov Avinu. So here are the sons, and they see the father is favoring the young, youngest at that time, Yosef, Joseph. Why don't they say like this? He's, he's better than us. We don't see it. But the father obviously sees something that we don't see. Isn't that the from way to go? Isn't that the, you know, way you'd imagine somebody who is very, you know, pious and so, you know, shift they call? And so, isn't that what they would say? You know, the Das Torah said, it's, it's such and such and so and so. Um, so it was shot. And not only did they do that, they were so angry they wouldn't talk to him. And then they killed him or they tried to kill him. So notice the Mamish went and connected the Das Torah. Because Yaakov said, I'm giving him the coat of many colors. Therefore, I want him to be the leader in the future. And things like that. And I see in him that he can do it. And the rest of you can't do it the way he can do it. And uh, the others should have said, I guess, okay, then tell us what to do. Instead, they tried to frustrate the father's plan by murdering the son. I mean, ain't l'cha anti-kibbutz ain't bigger than that. The only conclusion that makes sense to me is... They must have been convinced that the father is blind the same way Yitzhak was blind. They all knew the story how Yaakov had cheated the father. But the reason he cheated the father was because the father didn't hop. And Asa was really bad. And Asa, you know, shot the bull with him and he asked him to pretend to be real from. And Yitzhak fell for it because he couldn't see. I mean, this is a plain story. And because of that, it was necessary to like circumvent his will. And they must have said, well, it runs in the family. You know, the grandfather had this blindness. Our father has moral glaucoma. You understand? He, you know, he can't see who Yosef really. Yosef is a bull artist. He's full of it. He's kissing up to the father. He's, mom is doing like Esau. He's pretending to be Ben Zakunim, you know, Bar Chakamaya, and all this kind of stuff. Really, he's planning to take over and uh, rule everybody or kill him or something like that. As he himself was stupid enough to shoot his mouth open and say, that the sun, the moon, and stars will one day bow down to me. <laughs> you see, so they saw it, that they know better than Yaakov, because Nebuch Yaakov was a blind. The funny part of the story is, Yaakov was not blind, and Yaakov knew what he's doing, and when he picked Joseph, he was 100% correct, and events demonstrate this over the course of Ayeshev, Miketz, and Vayigash. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Because by the time it's over, they all are depending on Yosef to live, to get food and settle them in Egypt 
and take care of the ganze business. Vayichalkel Yosef Bezechov Avi Bezechov Lechem Lufi Atov. You know, at the end, their entire fate lies in the hands of Yosef. And I guess if they had the intellectual honesty, years later after all junk was over, they say, you know, I guess the father was right. Joseph deserves the coat of many colors. And it's not simply, by the way, in the sense of having the economic smarts and the administrative smarts and all that business. Although that is impressive enough, no question about it. Majorly impressive. But morally speaking, Yosef was better than them. Maybe you see it, maybe you don't see it in the Parsha. At least this is what it looks to me. I can only tell you what it looks to me. I read a Parsha called Vayeshev, and I read about two guys. One guy is Yehuda, and the other guy was Yosef. Yehuda, it says, saw a zona on the road. He went for the zona. The Ghazal is still trying to figure it out. You know, it was a shade, this and that. The bottom line is he did it. Okay? And nobody forced him to do it either. So he did it. I mean, whatever. You know, now you and I know, turns out it wasn't his own, it was Tumor, blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is, you know, so Yehuda, when he was faced with a moral challenge, now it's true, his wife was dead and all the rest of it. So I don't want to really beat up on him, but nevertheless, I think it's necessary to do so for a point of contrast. Judah, when faced with a situation of temptation, fell for it immediately. Joseph, by contrary, was the story of Aishas Potiphar, he found himself in a situation times a million, and he did not give in. Right? She hit on him every day. Right? But he, what's the, what's the words I just said? You know? Okay? Um, and finally, when she forced herself on him, so in other words, Joseph, by his conduct, demonstrated that he's worthy to wear the coat of many colors, and Judah, by his conduct, showed that he was not. Which is why they say, You know, he took a dip. Um, so, all I'm trying to say is like this. When you read the story, if you see what's in front of you, at least that's what it seems to me, that's all I can ever do. If you look what's in front of you, you see the father was 100% right, giving him the coat of many colors. Because, as I said before, many talents. The talent to resist temptation, the talent to interpret dreams, the talent to administer an empire, the talent to be economist number one and save the Gunzevelt, you understand? And more, and more. self not they call him in this week's partial, you know. He can he can discover anything. Uh, so I mean, it's, it's quite a story, you understand? And it turns out that Yaakov was not blind. And uh, like I said before, it's a, a, a certain type of vindication. I repeat, vindication. Now, it always struck me interesting. How did Yosef know about the dream? First of all, I mean, I'm not exactly sure how to understand this, but the plain, simplest shot is to say like this. Hashem gave by Nebuah. Okay? Hashem gave by Nebuah. It doesn't say over here that he had a dream and God showed to him Nebuah. I'll tell you what I mean. Um, you look at the book of Daniel, which is the other story. Uh, the Barbanel, I remember from the past, uh, harps on this, and I'm sure other Farshim do. When you look in Tanakh, there's two famous episodes with dream interpretation. One was Joseph and Pharaoh, and the other was Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Even though they're far apart in time. And uh, I remember Nachshoni, if I remember correctly, has an article on this. If you look up the Nachshoni book, in English or Hebrew, 
classic stuff. Now, uh, in the case of Daniel, uh, the king could not remember the dream. In the case of Pharaoh, the king knows the dream. In the case of Daniel, he had to go home and pray to God and then was given a prophetic dream of some sort or another. Called Nevoa, called something else. You know, there's a discussion about that. Whatever it is, he got a divine communication by me. That's good enough for Nevoa. And then he was able to come to Nebuchadnezzar and tell, A, I'll tell you what you dreamed, and B, I'll tell you the interpretation of the dream. Because Hashem told me. Uh, doesn't say that in this week's parsha. I don't believe so. It says they summoned Joseph from the pit and they gave him a shave. <laughs> right? Like God similar himself. You ever wonder why he says they gave him a shave and uh, new clothes? I think the answer is Pasha. He was called Yefei Tor Mari. He was very attractive looking. Made a nice impression, easy on the eyes. But not when he was besheveled and all smished from being in a dungeon. So, you know, Hashem wanted that, that, that he should make a, a, a good physical impression on Pharaoh, and therefore he was like that. But anyway, uh, look at this. Vayishlach par v'ikra is Yosef, etc. Vayimra par al Yosef, chalom chalamti posein yoso. Vayishamati lechalai tishma alav noso. Nobody knows to interpret the dream, and I heard you know how to interpret the dream. Tishma chalom lifter, so all you have to do is hear the dream, and you can, and you can answer it. So in other words, this was Yosef's own personal skill of dream interpretation. Uh, and because Yosef doesn't say like this, Yosef doesn't say what Daniel said, let me go home and come to you tomorrow. If Hashem shows me what the dream is, I will then tell you. Isn't that the way it should sound from a front point of view? I heard your dream. I'm going to go home. I'll try to get into a prophetic state. And Hashem should come to me and reveal to me all this. But instead, Yosef says right on the spot, Bayan Yosef is parallel more. Bilodoy, It's not me, but God will answer the, the, the dream of Pharaoh. Which means what? God's going to tell me now or tell you right now what's going to happen? The way they learn it is, they say like this it's a from talk. It's a from way of, 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 uh, of uh, you know, take, not, not literally that God will come and tell me uh, what the dream. Uh, in fact, Rashi even says, "Ena chachma mishali ela hakimiana yitain anil bifi l'shalom paro." So whatever I say now, I'm, I hope for siyata d'shmai. God will put the words in my mouth. But he doesn't say God told him. So it sounds like with siyata d'shmai, uh, big time, uh, because you always need that, right? You're not going to go anywhere without that. So with I will undertake to interpret the dream, which was quite a statement. And then Pharaoh tells him the dream, of course, as you know. And nobody knew what the shot was. I think if I remember correctly, the, the Medish Rabbah says something like they wanted to talk about Shidduchim and the children and grandchildren. He felt it wasn't that. And Joseph hopped that it was economic. Okay? Now, to be perfectly honest, it sounds economic. Is there fat cows and skinny cows? You know, and the skinny cows swallowed the fat cows and stayed skinny. Isn't that a language that reminds you of like bad investments? Is that just me? I don't know. You know, sounds like Uncle Sam. They they, they pour a lot of money into the thing and, and you can't tell. You know, it's a very good example of a tavor. They pour money into the public school system. It doesn't help because in English there's even an expression now. 
throwing money at a problem, which means you don't solve the problem simply by increasing the the, the tax the money for it. But you have to discern the problem, and then you have to discern the proper um, you know strategy and implement it for solving the problem, which is much harder. <laughs> okay, it's easy, but you know the unions and everything don't see it that way. Whenever there's a trouble in public school, they say, "Well, the teachers are not getting paying enough." Or, you know, the schools are not getting uh, enough funds. And so the legislatures will say, okay, we'll increase by 10%, 20% the money going for schools. L'chaira, if there's 10% improvement in the, in, in, in the budget, you know, you get an extra 10%, this should be reflected in higher scores, things like that. And in spite of everything like that, we know all across America, Baltimore being a shining example, uh, the scores go down. The kids in public school are illiterate. And things like that. I feel bad for them, but you know, to get in short change, and uh, money is not solving the problem. So, isn't it sound exactly like Batavo Kibenavolo? No ducky bowl Kibeno Omari Hen Rock Kashibatkila. So Yosef, you know, can perceive the economic side of it. Now, maybe I'm doing this because I'm in the rabbi business, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Yosef came to Egypt with certain skills. Among them, he was a Benzikuni. He learned with Yaakov. Learning, I mean, they didn't have Gamora exactly like we have now, but they had something. The learning itself, it seems to me, predisposes you to a mind in which you have a fine sense for interpreting phrases or pictures or maybe even dreams. You understand? Especially if you have any kind of agatha sense. Um, you know, think moral or something like that. You know, you hear a story and you say, but what's it really mean? You know, what does it sound like? What, 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 what image does it call to mind? And when you do that, you might say, you know, so it's like giving a good Torah, a good podcast, as they say today. You know, say, oh, you know, he said it this way, but he really meant it economically. And so Ferris says, uh, fat cows are skinny cows. And he was a, what's a cow? A cow's like a commodity, you know. And a country like Egypt, the cow is the, uh, you know, let's put it this way. That's what the farmer's, live by because they got to pull the uh, the implements, you know, the, the plows and all this kind of stuff. And you have fat ones, skinny ones. Shmami not something to connect with the agriculture. Shmami not something to connect with the economy. Uh-oh, skinny cows means a famine. Do you, you see what I'm saying? Now, maybe it's not fair. I'm working backwards. I know the story. So, you know, you work backwards. But I think there's something to it. At least it seems to me. It seems to me. And, uh... Let that be. But it doesn't say Hashem then tells Yosef, here's what you do. You should arm Egypt against the famine. Chimish is, uh, to me, Chimish is like Hamushim, give it Chimish is You have to arm the country. Now, it's very interesting. I used to wonder, I'll tell you what I mean when I'm going with this. I used to wonder that afterwards, it's like repetitive. Pharaoh says, um, the following words. Uh, if God showed you this, nobody's as smart as you. You will be over my house, and on your mouth, everybody will kiss. Meaning, I only have the throne over you. I'm, I'm the king at the end of the day. So what does it mean you'll be over my house? Doesn't it sound... Like he was saying, like this, I'm putting you in charge of the government. Uh, or does he mean I'm putting you in charge of my own house? 
I mean, Pasha Shad is, who cares about Pharaoh's palace per se? It's the expression of a whole government. But in the next line, Well, you just, you just told him you'll be over my house. What's he, what's he saying over here? I'll tell you what I think it means. Your plan for the famine, for global warming, as we say today, or for dealing with the corona, requires massive government intervention. My friends who are conservative, and one time or another, they're not going to like this, because they're in principle opposed to massive government intervention. But Joseph is a classic example, because of an emergency, of massive government information, intervention. You should be a country called Egypt, and they had the Nile River, and the farmers grow their thing, they give parts of as a taxes, and they live it by themselves, the rest of it, on their own. Now, because of the coming emergency, I am entrusting you with dictatorial powers. That's, that's what it means. Because to carry out what you're going to do is going to require unprecedented government intervention in the private sector and the employment of dictatorial powers. Because let me tell you something. If those farmers are growing a bumper crop, they're going to use it to live the life of Riley. That's how farmers are. When there's a lot of crops, you eat more. When there's less crop, you eat less. Here you have a whole year, you have seven years, in which they can party every weekend. They can throw a big feast, and, you know, to this God and that God, whatever, birthday parties, you name it. And here comes this jerk named Joseph. Uh, what's his name? Selfna Spanek. He said, I actually, for the next seven years, all the surplus goes to me, to Pharaoh. And I'm going to send soldiers to pick up all the food. So in other words, you will have enough for three meals a day, and that's it. No snacks. <laughs> you get it? Um, again, nobody starves, but it's going to be on a ration. Now, why are you having rationing during prosperity time? Doesn't make any sense. Rationing you have ways of famine. But that they had rationing. Now, I'll repeat. I'm sure that the ration was just fine. And so you had a nice breakfast, a nice lunch, a nice supper for every member of the family. But that's it. You see? You know, like Histopkis, like the Masila Sharm talks about with uh, whatever that chapter is called, Nikias, right? You have enough. Uh, nothing fancy and nothing elaborate. So the guys say, but I like to make, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, I like to throw a party. And there's plenty of food. That we have bumper crops. Why is Pharaoh taking it all away? It's like Stalin, you see? And uh, it was necessary because Pharaoh believed Joseph's interpretation of the dream. A time's going to come with getting an extra ounce of grain. So for seven years, he carried an unpopular policy. In order to do that, he had to have dictatorial powers from Pharaoh, which he employed. So Yosef created a whole army of uh, soldiers and administrators, and they had to go to every farm that's growing a bumper crop and say, listen, 90% of this is still going to Pharaoh right now. 10% uh, of a bumper crop will see you through the year, like I said before, with breakfast and lunch and supper. That might be tofu and tofu and tofu, or like they used to say in Israel, chatzilim, chatzilim, chatzilim. But you won't starve. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll manage. I, I, I'll say it again. I don't know how they did that during time of prosperity, because the hardest thing in the world is to make the public, you know, pull in their belt during prosperity times. We in modern America are not good at this. We're not Josephs. Because Joseph was able to persuade Pharaoh, who was, after all, you know, an absolute monarch, we think, and, you know, he got to the guy in charge 
and he basically said, you know, this is necessary. Uh, it's a little bit like the corona with the masks and the shots and all the rest of it, in which you try to get to the guy at the top uh, and say this is necessary. The guy at the top bought into it. Uh, I'm sure there were a lot of people who were anti-vaxxers or whatever you want to call it at the time of Pharaoh. They're anti-Joseph types. And they said, this is outrageous. He's taking food that belongs to us. You know, we pay our taxes as it is. This is over and above the taxes. Uh, this is disgusting. Uh, down with the Jew. Whatever. I don't know. I wasn't there. But, you know, something like that. Only when the famine comes after seven years is Joseph completely vindicated. You see? So for seven years, he got to put up with a lot of guff and a lot of lip. And then when seven years come around, people are like, oh, I guess he was right. <laughs> I guess he was right. So when the brothers encounter Yosef, this week's Parsha, he's at the height of his powers. Because for seven years, he must have been a very controversial official going around like Stalin used to do in the 30s, starving the Ukrainians to, to amass all the wheat, except that Yosef didn't starve anybody, which is a gigantic difference. Uh, but once the famine hit, then all of a sudden people's like this, ah, the Jew wasn't so stupid. Okay. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, so he really was held in a high level. Uh, and that's when the brothers meet him in this week's Parsha. Who I shall lead all arts. Who I shall lead arts. Yosef was going around, basically, rubbing everybody's nose. All you Egyptian guy, you made fun of me. And now I proved I was right the whole time. So, all I'm trying to say is, you don't even have to come to any deep mafarshim. Just read the Pusser. Read the Parsha as it is. That's my argument today. And you see... Uh, the most amazing uh, human uh, uh, um, side of things uh, in in this week's Parsha. Anyway, once again, I want to thank David Brooklyn Pensa for sponsoring today, and uh, sorry for a sad occasion, um, but we hope that Neshama of the Nifter who passed away last week will have an Aliyah, and with that, I wish everybody a good Hanukkah. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.